first very big project I did was I built a dining hall. Or we built a dining hall. Uh, the children were just eating under a shelter and the dust was blowing into their food. And so um, we built a dining hall and, and, uh, and we put in 10 tables and, and benches for them to eat on. I'm Jim Fox, and welcome to the Lumen Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. This episode of the Lumen Innovation Podcast is brought to you in part by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. 20 different flavors of pecans to choose from. Whether you want in-shell, cracked, chocolate, or candied pecans, the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company has you covered. Don't forget about their pecan pies and fudge as well. If you live anywhere in Central Texas, stop by their shop at 2626 Highway 71 West in Cedar Creek. If you live anywhere else, keep in mind that they mail pecans all over the country. Give them a call at 1-800-518-3870 or go to birdall.com. That's B-E-R-D-O-L-L.com. All of the pecan products are grown, prepared, and cooked right there in Cedar Creek by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. Welcome to the Lumen Innovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox, and in today's show, we're going to take a little trip to Africa, more specifically to Kenya, Samburu, Kenya. Our guest today is Margaret Ellis, the founder of an organization called Friends of Samburu. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Thank you. Give us the backstory. How did you get involved in, uh, in this uh, Friends of Samburu program? Okay, well, <clears throat> about two years ago, a gentleman, a Kenyan, and actually he's a Samburuan, uh, he came over to the United States to s- study and to get a certification in geographic information systems. And he was doing an internship at the Houston Zoo. And um, in order to get this certification, he had to pass Algebra two. And so a friend in the conservation department at the zoo contacted me because he was struggling. Sabinga is his name. He was struggling. And um, I w- she asked me if I would help him uh, learn uh, or help him pass his algebra course. And so we met, we spent many, many hours together and um, we formed a relationship and he wanted me to come and visit his family and um, so I thought, what? How much fun that would be! Yeah. So, so you've uh, one of your many hobbies is math tutoring. I know you've been involved in a ton of things, but you've done math tutoring for a number of years. Many years. And this was through, was it the zoo? You said it was. It was through the zoo. Through so. the zoo. So you've kind of merged a couple of your hobbies and and outcome uh, the idea to uh, start up this deal with uh, Samburu, Kenya. Right. So uh, let's let's kind of set the. Uh, set the scene here or describe the map, so to say. Tell folks where Samburu, Kenya is. Okay, Samburu, the county of Samburu is in the northern part of Kenya. Um, It's not exactly on the border, but it's close to the northern border of Kenya. And Kenya is? And Kenya is a country in Africa. It's located in East Africa. 
kind of also set the scene of what is day-to-day life like in Kenya, or at least this part of Kenya? How, how do people live over there? What's their day-to-day life like? Well, their day-to-day life, it all depends. If you live in the, in the city, um, you still, you don't have running water, you don't have electricity, um, it's, you don't have, you don't have, you know, the modern conveniences that we have over here, obviously. And if you live in the bush, um, it's, it's extreme poverty. Uh, you live in a mud hut, um, you cook on a, three stones, uh, makes up your oven or your stove. Um, actually, you don't even have a latrine, uh, so they, they go in the bush um, and it is, it's extreme, extreme poverty. Very, very primitive, very yeah. poverty stricken. Matter, matter of fact, we say, we often say that they're living in the time of Moses. I, mean, I see. That, okay. Yeah, it's that primitive. Try to, uh, uh, this being an audio only format, try to paint a picture in the mind of the listeners what a typical uh, Kenyan home looks like. What, are, what? How do they live? What is their home structure? Okay, so their home structure, if, if they're living in the bush, their home structure is made out of sticks. They weave the sticks together, and uh, then they smear these sticks with uh, dung and mud, and they just plaster. It's kind of like a plaster that they put on the, on the sticks. Okay, and transportation? How do they get around? Transportation, to- uh, they use donkeys, they use camels, um, You'll see many boda, well, they're called boda bodas, which are scooters, um, and yeah, and they walk, walk a lot, yeah. Okay. They walk, walk. There's an old song by Paul Simon called "Under African Skies" that uh, describes that. Is that uh, right? One of the fellows walking. Yeah, really neat song. You should listen to it after we're done here. Okay. Under Under African Skies by Paul okay. Simon. Where Where does the mixing of village life and some version of modern life emerge? Are there cars? Are there some areas that have what we would call a modern city? Um, well, in the, in the cities, it it all depends on obviously which city you're you're going through or you're visiting. Uh, but one thing that really strikes me is there are a lot of cars. There are a lot of cars. Um, but oddly enough, the roads are terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, many many dirt roads um, up in Maralal, especially. And Maralal is the capital of Samburu. Um, the the roads are still dirt. There's no paved roads in this in that city. And Maralal is a population of about sixteen thousand or so. Oh gee, I don't know the population. I kind of cheated. I looked up on Wikipedia before we started. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, so it's a it's a big city by their standards, but by our standards, that would be uh, not a significant really city at all. Right. But uh, but okay, yeah. that gives it paints a little bit of picture of of what we're dealing with. What about food? Uh, what is their their diet like, and how available is food or unavailable is food? Okay, so their food they um, eat a lot of maize and beans and rice and eggs. Okay, so when I when I go up there, I, I I know the first time I went up there, I ate a lot of rice and eggs, and I thought that they were just preparing that food for me because it was safe, but that's actually what they eat. They okay. just eat a lot of rice and eggs and beans and maize. Very basic staples. Yeah, very basic. For our uh... very seldom do they have meat. Um, very seldom do they have vegetables or uh, fruit. Okay, so from our perspective of spoiled Americans, uh, that would get to be a rather boring diet, but that's that's their everyday, day-in, day-out diet, huh? Right. Okay. Right. Very little spice spices as well. Okay, so the uh, the listeners probably can't tell by your voice, but you are retired. You've, you've uh, 
worked your entire career in the technology field, um, and you've been involved in tons of different hobbies. How does this new hobby of yours allow your experience and your creativity and your problem-solving skills to be put to work here? What, what special skills that you have, um, how, how do those help with the mission here? Okay. Well, I, w I will say when I go over there, um, I tend to um, see a need, and then I, then I just go about trying to solve that need. And it's, it's as simple as that. Um, as far as problem solving, yes, I, I must say that I um, spent a lot of my career in problem solving. And so it kind of comes natural to me to try and figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to run this project? Where are we going to get the resources? So talk a bit about, uh, you've got the Friends of Samburu nonprofit up and running now. Talk about that process. Or someone out there listening wanting to get their own nonprofit going, and I know that's a hard process to, it's, it's intimidating. Talk about how you did that and in the process. Okay. So um, how I did that was I just, I went on the internet, okay, and I actually did use LegalZoom. Although, to tell you the truth, they weren't all that helpful, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but anyway, I um, got the application and I decided to do the long form. There is an easy form out there, but I was told that the longer form um, was had more clout in the in the charity world. And so um, filled out all the questions and uh, submitted it. You have to be extremely careful in the order that you submit it and the way you present it uh, because you don't want them to it to come back to you because they say if it comes back to you, it takes twice as long. So you submitted your forms for the first time in June of uh, 17. Yeah. But you had been working on it for many weeks or months prior to that, yeah, right? Yeah, many, many, actually, probably six weeks at least. Okay, so and I know you well enough to know you you did your absolute best to get it right the first time, like you just said. I, did. I mean, you're kind of I, meticulous. I sure and did. so even even with all of that, uh, what I call a get on the ballism, uh, you submitted in June of seventeen, and you didn't get approved until October of eighteen. That's right. Just a month or two ago. Yeah, and they actually they actually did come back to us. And um, even though I did have an attorney look at it before we submitted it, a lawyer look at it, um, but they did come back to us and they asked, <laughs> they asked if um, they wanted to make sure that we weren't doing any uh, funding any terrorist activities. Um, and it was really odd because that was basically the question they asked is, you know, are you doing any terrorist activities? And all you had to say is no, you know, which I thought was really silly, but... Because no one's going needed, to say yes, even yeah, if they're doing that, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But the attorney said they just needed something in writing. Um, and that wasn't any part of the application at all. So they came back to us, and then once we answered that question, then then they they gave us the status, the 501 So how long did you actually work on it before you submitted your paperwork in June of 17? Probably six weeks, about six okay. weeks. Okay, and yeah. uh, with you being retired and having still a lot of hobbies, but I'm sure that was a lot of effort for six weeks. That's it, it was, and the, the funny thing was, it seemed like I, when I was answering the questions, it seemed like I was repeating myself over and over again, you know, which to me is very odd, but hey, that's, if that's what the government wants, you know. <laughs> so what about the, the 16 months between you first submitted and you got approved? What, what's that fuzzy middle ground like? Are you able to operate as a nonprofit or you, can you not? How does okay. that work? So, so you're able to um, operate as a nonprofit, okay, because uh, the 501s, 
C3 status is retroactive to when you actually registered the nonprofit. Okay. And it was registered it back in June of 2017. Okay. So it was retro, retroactive, kind of, yeah. Yeah, but what if, what if they wouldn't have actually approved you in October? How could they have, how oh. could your retroactiveness been active? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I honestly don't know. You you're given two you're given two years to actually get the status. I see. Okay. Okay. So so, if, so, so if they, you they they give themselves some wiggle room, I'm sure. You know, because um, uh, to be quite honest, I don't know what process the government uses. Got it. You know. So okay. now that you know what you know, if you had to do it over again, is there something you would do differently to make it quicker or easier or better? To tell you the truth, I don't know how I could have made it easier or better. Got it. Okay, so it's it's just a long, <laughs> frustrating just a long process. process. Yeah. Okay, and you just yeah. gotta just gotta push through it then. Yeah. Okay. Who else helping with helping you with this? This is not just a hundred percent you effort, is it? No, 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 no. I do have a board. I have a board of um, three, and I, I'd like to add to that board if I could. Um, but um, you know, I have a. a People that that I contacted. Matter of fact, one actually person volunteered to be on my board. So okay, that's nice. Cool. Yeah. So, how many are on your board total then? Now? There's three of us. Three. No, four of us actually. And, and I'm not. Oh, There's okay. Four. I'm just the founder. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, how many would you like to have? What's your kind of ideal number? Six. Six. I'd like two more. Okay, and there's a legal minimum requirement for that too, right? You three. three got it. The, so you're the meeting legal. the legal requirements, yeah. but not much more. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So back to. Uh, Traveling to Africa. How many times have you been on a mission over there? One, two, three, four times. Four times. Four and times. three of those were just last year, right? Yes. Got yes. And 2017, I went over three times. And in 2018, I went over only once. Yes. What was it like the very first time? And you had probably some version of culture shock. And uh, to it kind was. of put, put the <laughs> listener's mind in that. What was it like the very first time? Uh, well, I was very excited. It is a long, I, I do not enjoy the uh, travel over because it is a long flight. Um, but it's just, it's just a different world over there. And matter of fact, my friend, my Samburu friend and I joke that it's like we're on a different planet. It is so terribly different. In what ways? Kind of uh, describe that. In every single everything, way. Everything is different. In every single okay. way. Yeah. As soon as you get off the plane, you know you're in a different world. Yes. <laughs> Got it. And then when you get up, when you get up actually into um, the Sambu County, it, it's even it's even more. You think you're in a, a different planet. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And you went over there the first time, and 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 you didn't go there on mission. You went there just visiting. Just right? visiting. I and just thought I'd I'd meet his family. Um, and go on a safari, which was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, the experience was was um, just so incredibly different, and the culture is incredibly different. Um, so how did you go I, from... I will tell you, when I came back to the States, I began reading everything I could get my hands on about the Sambu uh, tribe. And what made you think that uh, this vacation trip that I went to just for fun is now a life-changing life. Uh, uh, this is kind of absorbing your entire, every hour of your day. What was it that kind of said, yeah, this is where I need to go. This Be is where I need to spend my energy. Because, because I couldn't stop thinking about them. I couldn't stop thinking about them. I thought about them absolutely when I got back on the plane. I just, I just yeah, I just couldn't stop thinking about them. Got it. You're thinking you could make a difference? And yes. Just even in the, in the slightest way. 
you know. I started off, actually I started off um, buying books for the uh, grade eight girls and boys at Thomas School in Maulau. So here grade, grade eight is about 13 years old. Is that the same age as over there? That's okay. right. Okay. I, exactly. It, it, it actually corresponds to our grade system Okay, because not, not all countries do that. But no, okay. that's tr that is true. But when the, the teacher told me, or the, actually it was the principal that told me that these children that were about 25 in number only had one book between 25 of them. Wow. And, and yeah, and they had to, s and at the end of their eighth grade, they have to sit for an exam to see if they can go on to high school. And so she said, you know, she said, we're really struggling. I just, I just had to meet that need. And so I, I bought, I bought out of my own personal funds, I bought them books. And they said they did so much better because they each had a book that they could study from. Uh, education is definitely a good way to lift many of the countries up out of poverty, not just Kenya, but many countries around the world. That's definitely a good thing. But kids are also kids all around the world. What are some of the fun things that they like to have or maybe that you thought they were missing, just toys? And What, what are some of the things there that, that you're able to help with? Okay, well, they, they have nothing, <laughs> so it's kind of easy to, to, um, to bring things over. They, they love bubbles. What child doesn't love bubbles? Uh, they like balloons, um, and they definitely like puzzles. Uh, they, they just find it fascinating to put the pieces together and make a picture. Okay. And um, especially in the bush, when I took, I took puzzles into the bush with me, and they had never seen a puzzle before. And so uh, trying to explain to them, okay, how to approach it, matching up the co colors. And it's very, if you really think about putting together a puzzle, it's, it, it's very logical. You know? I can imagine also that uh, depending on the puzzle you get, you know, it might be a, a skyline of New York City or whatever, something that would look completely foreign to them that they wouldn't even right. really have a clue to how to put it together. Right, that's true. So if you get them animals or something, they would relate to, but uh, uh, Ferrari on the front of a puzzle probably doesn't mean anything to no, them. No, that's true. And yeah. I, I also bring over um, stuffed animals, and the people, the children in the bush have never seen anything like that. Um, when I buy, when I bring over baby dolls, I make sure that the baby dolls are are black or brown. You know, not not your white baby doll oh, or I your see. Barbie okay. doll. Okay. You know, I don't bring those over, but I bring black baby dolls. So over. I was thinking earlier when kind of preparing my notes for this, I wondered how how they view you, you come in and you're some version of Santa Claus. You're bringing gifts, you're bringing things to help with, but, but you're also an outsider. How, how do they view you and, and the friends that you bring with you? Well, okay, so the first time I went, I went by myself, okay, and uh, my friend, Sabinga, when we went into the bush, she said they probably had never seen a white person before, and so I was kind of an oddity. Okay. Okay, um, and each mission trip that, that we go on, I go into the same community, um, so they now know me, okay, and if I have, I'm going to have repeat travelers, and so uh, relationships are built. I which, see. Which is, which is a great thing. Okay. Yeah. There, but you're, you are probably are building that maybe a subconscious relationship that, uh, oh, the, the white ladies here, we're going to get new things. Possible. Possible, yeah. yeah. I guess that's not a bad thing, but it's probably a... Uh, it'd be a fun thing to study how that gets... Kind of a Santa Claus. Yeah. 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 yeah Santa Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Talk about the very basic building supplies that you, you and I could just drive five minutes down the road, go to Home Depot and buy a two before. Uh, not so much over there, right? Talk a bit about the problems of logistics of getting building materials. Right. 
Okay, so there's no Home Depot. Um, so, but there is. You're that Home Depot. That's an opportunity. Yeah, I've, I've often thought that. Um, but there, there is um, the city of Maralal is the capital of Sumburu, and so even though it, it's it's what I, um, some people describe, uh, some Americans have described it as a shanty town, but even a shanty town has its a little shop that ha will have nails, another little shop that'll have wood, another little shop that'll have uh, cement. So you have to go from shop to shop instead of you know like a Home Depot, you just go in and buy the whole. Yeah, no one stop yards. shopping. Yeah, got it. Um, trying to think of uh, if there were any supplies that we could not get. Um, I did buy, uh, before, before I go up to northern, um, well, before I go up to Sembu County, um, I actually purchased saws and hammers and things like that actually in, in Nairobi because Nairobi is a, you know, a thriving city. Okay. And you can get pretty much everything except you cannot buy a hole digger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we want, we, they, they dig holes with a crowbar. You ever I dug see. a hole with a crowbar? So you mean just a basic shovel, not a fancy, like a, a, a fence post digger or anything? No. You, ju you just mean a basic shovel? Yeah. I see. They, okay. they, they dig holes with, a, with this crowbar. And my, my, uh, one of my travelers said, gee, wouldn't it be nice to have a shovel or, or one of those hole diggers? Yeah. You know, and, I, and to tell you the truth, I couldn't even find a hole digger in Nairobi. Wow. So uh, I'm actually shipping a hole digger over there. <laughs> In a few months. How far away is Nairobi from uh, Sumbaru? Um, oh, I used to know this. It's about 200 and 240 miles. So that's that's not a trivial drive for us with cars, but if you don't have cars, that's that's it's, in it's another planet. That's a long yeah. ways away. Yeah, it's a full day. Well, a full day via what? Uh, riding I, donkey I, or? No, in a, in a jeep. Okay, yeah. so they do have some access to. Well, we travel we travel in, in by jeep. Uh, they have uh, things called matatus, but you don't—you know—you don't really travel with them. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from, and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Luminovation podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Luminovation podcast on our webpage, luminovation.com. That's L-U-M-innovation.com, luminovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. Before us here, we've got a table full of uh, goodies, the handmade crafts that were made by some of the folks over there that you've got now for sale in your house as a fundraiser. Talk about some of these items. I just randomly picked, picked this guy. Okay. Talk about it. Tell, tell the audience what it is. Keep in mind they can't see it, so you've okay. got to describe it. Okay. Well, this is actually a double-stranded uh, bracelet 
that was made by one of the women, uh, tribal women. And what it is is it's made of a, a string of beads. Uh, some are ceramic, and they paint these ceramic beads with uh, multiple uh, colors. Uh, some are glass beads, um, and they just and they crochet the actual uh, closure. They have a loop on one end that's crocheted, and a ball on the other end, and the ball fits into the crocheted hole. And they wear these on their arms. So you're selling that here uh, as a fundraiser for your organization for ten bucks, right. uh, which is actually kind of cheap. I mean, if you went to the mall to find something similar to that, it would be more than that. Right. Um, talk the, about the process of what does it cost them in time and resources to make that? Well, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure where the beads. I mean, they're Kenyan beads, I but I'm not sure um, how much they pay for them. You know, to be quite honest. Okay. Uh, but you know, I would imagine that this this particular um, bracelet probably 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 did not take them a long time to make because Got these it. are pretty big. Um, whereas something like this rounded um, bracelet that also the women wear, these are made up of very small little beads. And th I this mean, bracelet is more. A hard structure; it doesn't snap close like the other one. Right, it's about the diameter of a coke can, perhaps. Right, and this slips over your your hand. Okay. Okay, actually, <laughs> and the beads are very tiny, so they string the beads in the, with you know on a thread, and they, it's um, it's it's uh, what shall I say? Woven or yeah, it's just wound around the cord. Yeah, round wound around a plastic cord, and. And yeah, the string is very long. Okay, all right. Uh, let's see. We've got some wooden spoons here with some uh, bead decorations around there. Talk about the, yeah. the wooden spoons. The wooden spoons actually, they carve carve these out of um, out of I'm not sure what this wood is to tell you the truth, but they put the beads on the handles and they're quite decorative. Okay. And those, a pair of wooden spoons, handmade wooden spoons, yes. selling for $55. So yeah, this that's, is a very nice set. Yeah, that's about what you would expect for a nice set of, of kind of decorative and also functional wooden spoons at, right. a, at a nice premier store. So it's yeah. a good thing. Pick another thing here on the table we've got. This, this uh, bracelet is made out of elephant's tail, um, which is kind of interesting. And it's self-adjusting. You can make it smaller the way they've woven this. You can make it smaller or larger. So el the hair from an elephant elephant's tail. Elephant's tail, yeah. Which is, it's a, I've never really consciously thought of what does an elephant's tail hair feel like, but yeah. I didn't, I, I can't say that I expected this texture or this feel. It's, in a way, it feels a bit more like a nylon fishing string. Yeah. Um, but it's it's elephant. Yeah, uh, really coolness. It's about every, oh, the engineer in me is coming out. Every 120 degrees around this thing is a little series of beads. Um yeah, really neat, cool thing. That's one of my favorites. And then this is a, one of the string bracelets. You you can buy this wire even here in the States. Okay. What do you call this when it's... It looks like um, a slinky. Yeah, it does look like a slinky, but it's it goes back into shape. What do they call uh, it? Memory wire, perhaps? Yeah, memory wire. That's okay. It. And that once again, it's very tiny little beads that they string on this memory wire. Okay. Memory okay. wire, and you've got an angel-looking thing there. What talk about yeah, the angel? This is actually made out of sisal, which is kind of a hemp um, hemp fiber that grows in Kenya, and she's well, she's a Christmas ornament. There. What are the wings made of? The angel wings. This this is made out of. I don't know. Okay, so th this is a it's an angel with 
the body of the angel is the sisal, but it kind of looks like a very fine straw from a broom, perhaps, and then yeah. then the wings and a little uh, cloth loop to hang it. So it is definitely appropriate here for a few weeks just before Christmas. Yeah, Neat little deal. And you've got a bracelet as well. A bracelet. All the warriors wear these bracelets, um, and they're very colorful. I should tell you that the Sambu people, they're known as the butterfly people. And, um, and they love, love, love color. Love color. So the previous bracelets you mentioned, I guess I assumed were for women, but this one is this a is guy's... A, yeah, kinda. a warrior's bracelet. And okay. this, this is actually the, the colors of uh, the Kenyan flag. Tell us about the term warrior. Does that mean what we as Americans think it means, or does it have some other meaning over there? Well, actually, actually, um, they that's an interesting question, Jim, because um, what do Americans think as warriors? Well, I, I guess, like I, yeah, fighters of the, you know. They are the, they are the warriors of the protectors of the family. And so they protect the family against uh, against the wild animals and against other other tribes because there's you know the tribes do a lot of the tribes don't get along. Is that a major together. part of their day defense, or or is most of their day go out doing typical f- farm and taking care of the land kind of chores? Uh, I would say I would say probably the priority is taking care of their cattle, but but. Their priority is actually making sure that their family is is safe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So on the uh, big big part of it. On the last show of the Illuminovation podcast, we talked with members of the Society for Creative Anachronism, big long name for people who go back and study cultures from around 600 to 1600 and do their best to uh, understand what lives those people were living and recreating the items of that life, making swords and making bracelets and all of that kind of stuff. So you guys are obviously not that, but it reminds me of that show a little bit because because this is all handmade stuff that's being made very authentic. I mean, it, this is not a replication like the SCA guys were doing. This is made authentic, no, but it's a lot of creativity in making this stuff by hand. That's what I was gonna say. You wouldn't you wouldn't have to recreate this. Uh, you know, this is it. <laughs> you know, this is the real thing. Yes, <laughs> this is the real thing. Yes, yeah. indeed. You know, they're they're living. Um, they they're living like they lived thousands of years ago. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So the things you've got here, you've you've got them specifically in your house to resell to raise money to support your cause. Right. Uh, what is uh, what is the primary reason they are making these things? Do they have immediate access to markets there in their villages? Do they can they make things and sell those locally? They do. Okay, good. Is, yeah, which good. is amazing. You know, they actually sell. This is a beaded um, necklace that the women wear, um, and they actually sell these these necklaces in the in the cities. And I asked one time, I asked Sabinga, you know, how can they, how in the world can they afford to buy these? But they, but Sabinga said they're very important to them. Okay. So they, you know, they save their money. They'll they'll sell a, a sheep or a, a goat or something just so that they can acquire these necklaces. Uh, I'm I'm not quite sure how to draw an analogy here, but is that something of spiritual importance, or is that more like a what you and I would maybe put on a nice suit or a nice dress to go to a fancy dinner? Well, it's actually no, no. They actually wear these on a daily basis. Okay. Okay. Maybe not as elaborate as you saw in those pictures that were really, you know, big, because those are more ceremonial. But they they'll wear something like this, which is what? Uh, how? Uh, how inch, what, inch how and a half. That? An inch and a half. Yeah. Around their neck. Okay. And then yeah. and then they have these streamers that come down. 
they'll actually wear these on a daily basis, and it's it's to symbolize that they're married, they're the matriarch of the family. These different colors represent represent different tribal, you know, what 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 tribe, not what tribe they're from, but what family they're from. I see. Within okay. Within the tribe. So try to describe this to the listeners. It's, um, I guess, imagine taking a, a paper plate and cutting out the center of it. And it, so it's about the diameter of 10 or 12 inches, and it's flat. And since the center is cut out of the plate, it's just a flat ring. And then there's a tail of three or four strings of beads that are about two feet long hanging from it. The, uh, the flat plate part of this thing is, is highly decorative, very colorful beads and, and bead patterns. And this is a, a necklace they, they unsnap and wear around their neck and snap it. So I don't know if that helped to paint the picture of what I'm seeing, but that, that's about the best I can do, I think. Yeah, and the pattern is, this particular pattern is very geometric, you know, has, okay. has triangles and, and, and multicolored, very multicolored, white, um, black, yellow, and orange. So this is a big part of the day of the women and children to making these crafts, is that correct? Who, who makes yes. these in the villages? Oh, yes. Actually, the, um, the women make, make these. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. And, and they'll, they'll teach their ch- children the craft. Okay. Yeah. And how old uh, do kids, children, start to become a functional part of the, the village or the family when they start doing chores and raising cattle and making crafts? They're very, they're very young. Um, yeah. The, the actually the children go out um, and spend the entire day out. They're seven or eight years old, and they'll spend the entire day out uh, tending to the sheep and and goats. Okay. Yeah. So let's shift gears a bit. Talk a bit about um, you've been, went over there three times in the last year or so. Talk about some of the big projects that you've worked on in this past year. Um, talk about the you know the the before and after you showed us some of those pictures. So go ahead and dig into some of those big projects. Okay. Well, the the first very big project I did was I built a dining hall, or we built a dining hall. Uh, the children were just eating under a shelter, and the dust was blowing into their food, and so um, we built a dining hall and and uh, and we put in ten tables and and benches for them to eat on. Um, the second major project, major, major project we did was we renovated a preschool building. Um, and we, we put in an, a new kitchen for the, for the school there because the, the uh, teacher or the chef, the cook, <laughs> was um, breathing in coal dust because the, the stoves weren't vented. And, and the heat there, or they cook with coal and wood. Okay, so um, you, you remodeled the structure around the stove, cleaned it up a little bit, gave them some, some ventilation, and now they're not only cooking uh, with better facilities, but staying healthier doing it. Right, right. Well, that's, that's definitely a good thing. And, and the preschool building was, was in terrible shape. Um, they were storing maize and maize in the building, and which was attracting rats. And so the little children were sleeping with the rats. And so we went in there and tore down walls and... Um, Totally refinished the inside and the outside, and uh, and now they're sleeping on uh, vinyl mats, so okay. which can be cleaned. And uh, the rats and the mice have have left because there's no more food in the building. <laughs> okay, that's uh, small progress, but big, big important things there. Talk about how you've helped to supply them with water in their village. Oh, we we bought uh, a 2,300 liter uh, water tank. That's about 600 gallons or so for those yeah, of us uh, that exactly. know know the gallons. Okay. Yeah. And uh, um, how has that changed what they're doing? Oh well, they harvest now the water from the gutters off of the off of the uh, manadas and 
we put up we put two tents up there and so that's a structure as well that the gutters are along the structure and they feed into the the water tank and uh, now they have actually fresh clean rainwater nice that's wonderful that's yeah. something we take for granted but it is definitely not uh, something to be taken for granted around the world no that is a good thing. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that most of the homes and structures there are made of stick and and uh, and mud um, and very primitive, but you've recently managed to acquire a brick making machine. Talk a right. bit about that. Well, the brick making machine is 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 a wonderful thing actually, um, but it only makes one brick at a time, but and it is labor intensive, but it's something that the community can get in back of and actually make their own bricks. And so what we're going to do is they're going to make the bricks, and then uh, on our next mission trip, which is in June of 2019, uh, I'll take a group of people up there, and we'll actually build the structure. Cool. So if they can make uh, five or ten bricks per day over a period of a year or two, you get a few hundred or a few thousand bricks, and right. before you know it, you've got a building that's going to last for several years. Right. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Any building type in particular that is targeted for that? Any what? Building type, like a, a kitchen or oh, a dorm or but a... We're actually, we're actually going to build housing for the teachers, for the female okay. teachers, because they're living in... in um, actually, it's the worst living conditions I've, I've yet to experience. So Talk about a, bit about a bit about the education system. You know that very well here in this country. Talk about how their education system works. Well, actually, it, it follows ours, okay, as far as the grades are concerned, okay, but they're on a trimester. Okay. So they're, they um, are in school three months, off a month, another three months, off a month, and another three months. Um, but actually, to tell you the truth, um, I've been very impressed with the, with the level of education that, that I've seen there. I actually taught um, math class uh, for one full day, and I was really impressed with the level of, of uh, education that they, that they are receiving. But of course, when they re reach the eighth grade, then they do have to sit for an exam to see if they can go on into high school. I see. Um, okay. And the high schools are are relatively expensive as far as if you if you say you're Kenyan living over there and you're trying to put your family or your children through high school, sometimes the family cannot afford that, and so the level of education stops at eighth grade. Do you think that? Um I mean, you're, you're going over there, you're bringing supplies, you're helping to build things. Um, do you think that you, just your presence there, regardless of what you're bringing and doing, of an educated American, reasonably well-off, is your presence there changing their direction, changing their what they're striving for, that, oh, here's what success could look like? Well, I, I think so. I, I definitely think so. I mean, they're always full of questions about, you know, what's it like in the States, you know. Um, and I, And... I try and encourage them. Education is so important, and I, I, I tell them that all the time. Yeah, and I know you. So I know important. you not, are not just saying that, but you believe in that. You've, yeah. you've lived that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, speaking of education, what is uh, what is the language that is commonly spoken there? Oh, Samburu. <laughs> but they're <laughs> also at least slightly. Uh, um, well, no, no, they, no. They, they teach English. Okay, they know, they know okay, English. They then, okay, they do teach English at a very young age. I mean, from primary school on, they're, they're learning English. Yeah. Are, are you learning Samburu then? It's very difficult. <laughs> okay, so what I actually have decided to do is learn Kiswahili instead because that's the, that's the actually uh, native language of the, of the uh, country is Kiswahili. Samburu is a, a totally oral language. 
And so um, it's very difficult unless you actually immerse yourself in, in that, um, in that you know, area and just stay there for you know, several months to pick it up. But I haven't been able to do that yet. I'm sure it's hard to learn a language uh, at any age, but it gets harder the older you get. It's, it, well, it does. Learning and being and, a student becomes more difficult. If it's totally oral, you have yeah. no no written textbook to yeah. learn from. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's there's audiobooks. I've done audiobooks for different languages over the years, but uh, but a relatively rare and rare and little used language like that. I don't know if there's audiobooks for it. Have you looked into that? Oh yeah, I have, and there isn't. Okay. Now I will tell you, they just recently, matter of fact, this past year. They recently finished the translation of the New Testament in Samburu. And it took Moody, you know, the Moody translator, 10 years. They worked on it, 10 years. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's totally amazing. I actually talked to the woman who was, who was head of it over there. And she said it was an interesting, very interesting project. Because things don't obviously, you know, don't translate directly. Cultural things yeah, don't. and cultural, yeah. you know. Yeah, so she said it was pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the the way language has migrated over the years is a totally interesting thing. It'd be cool to get a an expert on that to be on the show. I'd, I'd, I'd have all kinds of fun talking for an hour about oh, yeah. the way language changes. Yeah. And so I can't imagine, even in, in one country, say England, for a thousand years, a word changes meaning, but I can't imagine how it changes from not only time, but also cultures. Right. So you know what we know as a word here will mean something totally different in Africa. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's got to be a, a challenging thing. So you talked a bit about the projects you've worked on the, in the last year. What are your, your upcoming projects for 2019 here? We're only about three weeks away from the New Year's. What's your, what are your goals for next year? Okay. Well, our major goal, I really would like to get clean water up there. Okay. They desperately need clean water. Um, we'll just have to see. I'm trying to work with uh, Living Water, which is an international Christian organization. That That is their main focus, is to giving third world countries people clean water. So you uh, talked about that with your 600-gallon uh, tank you brought in, but you actually mean not just collecting rainwater, but digging a well. Dig, digging a well. Got it. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um, then we're also uh, giving the teachers, the female teachers up in Kitabor, new housing, okay. uh, which is really exciting, and they're, they're thrilled to death. And a church also? And, and, and a church up there as well. And two classrooms. Oh, I forgot to mention, two classrooms as well. The, the uh, school up in Kitabor has 450 students enrollment and 450 students, and they desperately need more classrooms. Give us an idea what those things are going to cost, that you're, you're going to have fundraisers, you're going to try to get donations. What, what does it cost to accomplish all those goals? Uh, well, a total, total is um, around $65,000. Okay, that's yeah. that's not chump change. That's that's a lot of that's, lot of money. Yeah, that's but a it's lot of but money. it's also small enough to where if you get the right corporate backer, that that that's a check they can write in one day if they decided to. I, I that would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's not that's not crazy talk for a business to, to sponsor no. something at fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars. No, right? absolutely not. So that's very doable. Yeah, uh, very doable. But, okay, well that's cool yeah. that there's people that are like you that are backing that and trying to fight those battles. It's yeah. definitely. A, Definitely a good thing. What is your number one need? Is it is it dollars? Is it is it more bodies, more volunteers like you? Is it uh, time? What is your number one need to help? Well, my number one need probably would be funds. Okay, to to help help uh, do these projects. Um, my number two is I need volunteers. I need volunteers to um, help help with fundraising. Um, I I actually throw two uh, charity garage sales each year. And that's a lot of work, and I would love to have uh, more help with that. 
Um, I'd love to have people even uh, possibly host uh, a fundraiser activity in the event for me. Okay. Um, because the, the more networking I can do, uh, the better. Okay. Yeah. So we're here in Southwest Houston. Um, so certainly if you're in Southwest Houston, keep listening here at the end of the show. We'll get you contact information, how you can plug in directly. But there's bound to be ways that a listener 500 or 1,000 miles away from here, maybe in New York City or maybe in Seattle, how can those guys help? Okay. Um, well, basically, I would love funds. Okay. <laughs> I would love, I would love, yeah, to help fund the project. Okay, and you've got all these crafts that you're selling. Um, is there any way that you are, are thinking of to sell those to people that are not here in your house? <laughs> what, what are some okay. avenues to do that? Okay, well, actually... Um, Actually, Jim, you gave me a good idea about a Kickstarter. Um, that's a possibility. Uh, somebody also mentioned uh, possibly uh, having a website uh, where we would sell these items. Yeah, very good. So if there's any web builder out there that would like to help me with that, that would be great as well. You know. You've uh, got a number of years behind the keyboard yourself uh, uh, building a web page from uh, a company like Wix or some of the other guys. It's very easy. Right. You can do that in a day. That's uh, what, that's what, they've, t that's what yeah. they've been telling me. Yeah, it's it's basically um, the time, the time commitment. Yeah, because I can't I I can't be a one man show. <laughs> I do understand that. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you mentioned GoFundMe and Kickstarter. Um, we did a couple shows on Kickstarter in season one last year. So okay. dig through the archives of there, and there's some uh, some advice and tips of how to do a Kickstarter project. Okay. That's definitely a good thing. How can listeners? Uh, Get in touch with you. How? How? What are some contact information? Uh, web pages, Facebook, okay, well, phone numbers, email addresses. Okay, the best best way to get in touch with me is through email, uh, and it's uh, quite easy. It's friends of Samburu at yahoo.com. Friends of Samburu. That's S A M B U R U. Yeah. Friends of Samburu at yahoo.com. Yeah. So you're the last remaining person in the world to have a Yahoo email address. Congratulations. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> there might be another one somewhere. <laughs> but friends of Samburu at yahoo.com. Um, definitely get in touch there. And you've got a Facebook group as well? I do. I do. It's, it's Friends of Samburu. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is there, so you've got connected to this through the zoo and some help with your church here locally, is that right? That's correct. So how can you uh, build a network of people that are not in Houston that could join forces and maybe meet you over there on a mission or, or fly to Houston and you all go over together? Is there a mechanism for that yet? Well, what, what, they could, what they could do is if they're interested in going on a mission trip, what they need to do is, is just email me and I will send them an itinerary and we can take it from there. One last thing before we go. Talk about your upcoming uh, fundraiser with Bricks. Okay. So um, what we're doing is I'm, I, am, I am going to put up a GoFundMe page, all right? And each book is uh, costs 50 cents. So, you know, if you buy 100 bricks, uh, it costs you $50. And if you'd like to contribute $500, you'll actually get your uh, plaque with your name, name on it on, on the actual house up in Kitabur. Okay, so the, uh, this is not a traditional buying of brick where you're, they give you money and you're going to ship a brick to them. They're sponsoring no, no. a brick. They're, They're sponsoring, sponsoring a brick. brick. Got yeah. it. Yeah. And so uh, 50 cents per brick, that, that, can go, that can make a little bit of dollars go a long way. That's right. So a few Absolutely. hundred dollars can really make a difference. That, that's Absolutely. definitely a good thing. All right, uh, Friends of Samburu, that's Friends of S-A-M-B-U-R-U, -U, 
and at yahoo.com. Get in touch with Margaret Ellis. She's uh, doing some good work here and trying to help folks who are not as fortunate as us and kind of bring them up to speed and doing good things. Yeah. Any, anything it. we left out? No, I think that's about it. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, thanks Appreciate for the opportunity to talk. Thanks for being on the show. And we'll talk to you guys next episode. Thanks. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live.